Hi, this is Douglas Wilson. Welcome to the podcast, Lessons Learned. I want you to imagine that you are on a ship and on this ship are some amazing business leaders. And you're gonna have the opportunity to learn from those leaders lessons learned over their time in the C-suite. And it's like having a cup of coffee with this leader. It's like sitting down and being able to ask them a question and have something very practical you can use tomorrow. Now this is for you whether you're the CEO or whether you're a student that has just graduated from college and you're looking how to make it in business. I believe there's something for everybody in this because it's gonna make you think. And you're gonna do that little inventory in your own head. How am I doing on each of these issues? And what can I do better? That's the value of lessons learned. And what's exciting about this, we're not just interviewing anybody, we're interviewing people that have built amazing companies and have done it in a way where they not only added a lot of economic value, they've added a lot of social value. And the company we're meeting with today, Edwards Life Sciences, they're about transforming healthcare. They've changed thousands of lives for the better because of their work. And in the process, they've also made a lot of money. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about me, Douglas A. Wilson. Rather than go into it in a lot of detail, you can visit my website, douglasawilson.com, learn all about me, and learn about my involvement as well with the Center for Higher Ambition Leadership, of which I'm an executive fellow. The Center is a wonderful organization made up of Fortune 500 CEOs, some academics that come out of the East Coast, mostly in Boston, and a few thought leaders. And the whole purpose of the Center for Higher Ambition is to advance the concept that you can do well and do good at the same time. This is not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And there's something really exciting about people that are committed to that process and committed to living that out every day. So I have the privilege with me today of being with Rob Reindell. Rob was the head of human resources with Edwards Life Sciences. His uh, office was right next door to Mike Musalem, the CEO, for over 12 years. He worked with Mike before Edwards spun off from Baxter. And he has got an amazing career and some real lessons for us about trust today, which we're going to go into. So, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. And, uh, Rob, tell me a little bit about Edwards Life Sciences. Well, Edwards is a, a medical device company. We uh, specialized in structural heart disease and critical Ill, critically ill patients. Um, products included surgical heart valves, transcatheter heart valves, critical care monitoring devices. It was a spinoff from Baxter uh, in April of 2000, and over time became a very focused company that grew tremendously in the last 15 years from 800 million in revenue to almost 3 billion in revenue today. Great. Okay, well, that's mm -hmm. that's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. So, Rob, you've recently. Uh, published a book called The How of Leadership, which when I reflected back on it to you, I said, Rob, this sounds like 
you took three by five cars and you said you dropped them in a file and said, I'm going to write about this one someday. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, there's about 25 chapters and every chapter is about lessons of leadership and the how of leadership. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about one of those lessons that also come out of your book, which I recommend to anybody. But it's what I'm calling the four habits of trust. Now, tell me a little bit about the four habits of trust. Yeah, so, you know, after looking at all the literature and, and saving different um, little post-it notes over time as the head of HR at Edwards uh, in a file, I synthesized all that data, and it seemed to me that there were four things that uh, people think about when they're deeming whether or not you're worthy of their trust. And the, mm-hmm. the first one is knowledge of one another. The second one is how much do we demonstrate behaviors that say that we care about one another. The third one is uh, following through on our commitments. And then the last one is uh, openly sharing information, being transparent, telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I'll, I'll go into each one I'd of those. I'd appreciate um, that. Yeah, yeah, please do. So the knowledge of one another, you, you probably don't trust uh, someone that you don't know, right? But the more that you get to know them, the more chances that, that trust uh, will evolve. It's really the start of trust. Um, if you think about a funnel, mm-hmm. well, this is like the top of the funnel, right? Just mm-hmm. as, as you begin. Okay. Um, I would say it facilitates trust. And if you look up the word facilitate in the dictionary, facilitate means to make easier. So mm. it makes it easier for trust to evolve um, if we get to know one another and, and, and show an interest in that and also allow people to get to know us. So when you, um, when you think about this, in introverts and extroverts, I think they both have challenges with this one. It's kind of kind of interesting. Uh, the the introverts need to stretch their comfort zone a little bit and let others get to know them, and also show them a, a more of an interest in getting to know other people. But oftentimes, when I ask audiences that question, which has a bigger challenge with it, is it introverts or is it extroverts? They tend to say introverts, but I say mm, extroverts have as hard a time, if not a harder time with this one, in that extroverts tend to be more interesting versus interested. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's yes. more about them and they talk more about themselves versus um, taking the time to learn more about the people that, that are around them. Mm-hmm. In social gatherings, you see it happen all the time. Right? Yes. Um, an example I can remember on this one, it's, kind of, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. There was a senior leader at a company and she loved the notion or, um, that you um, should keep your personal and professional life separate. And I, I really do believe that's some of the worst advice that someone can give people in an organization to keep their personal and professional life separate. Really, how do you get to know a person um, and let trust evolve if you know, your interactions are just all about work, right? And nothing being shared personally. Uh, so. No doubt she was a very difficult person to get to know. Um, because absent information, a lot of times people like to make up stories. And, and you know, they'll write a chapter or two and all of a sudden they have a whole book written about the person and none of, it, none of it's probably all factual, but, you know, who's to blame for that? The person who wouldn't let any personal information out about themselves. So, um, she was a difficult person to trust as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she didn't let anyone get to know her. And mm-hmm. kept it so you never people. were quite sure where she stood or no. what she was like, and you That's didn't right. really grow to right. like her. It was just about the work at hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. yeah. 
So that's that one. Um, another one, the second one is in the funnel, right? So remember, we started mm -hmm. with this knowledge of one another. The second mm -hmm. thing, once you get to know one another, it's really important that you demonstrate behaviors that say that you care about the person, right? Mm -hmm. This is a concept that um, uh, it's a little bit akin to uh, Stephen Covey's uh, research on the seven habits of highly effective people. He talked about every person having an emotional bank account. Mm -hmm. And the more deposits you made into other people's emotional bank account or demonstrated behaviors that said you cared about them, the more app trust would build. So mm -hmm. now you've got to know one another and also you're showing that you care about the person so trust mm -hmm. even has a better chance. Yeah. But if you make one withdrawal, all that trust can be wiped away, right? Mm -hmm. the, the emotional bank account could become deplete. Right. Right. If, if, you, if you just demonstrate one behavior and say you don't care. So I think it's really important that people get out of bed every day and they think about this and say, who are the key people that are going to influence my career? Who are my key stakeholders? And what can I do to demonstrate a behavior that say that I care about them? What can I do to make a deposit into their emotional bank account? So um, let me see if I can think of an example of this one. It's a... Um, I, you know, I, now in my retirement days, yeah. I, I do some executive coaching. And it's funny that the thing that I find coming up the most as a development area for executives is listening. Right? Yes. And, and I think that because now that they're, they're executives, they have a fair amount of years of experience, right? So I, I find that there's a direct correlation between years of experience and the lack of listening. Kind of interesting so i think that's why executives have so much uh so much of a problem with this two things seem to happen um with them one is that they have so much going on right these people have a lot going on when you're at mm -hmm. that top right uh, tier of the let's cut to the chase i want to solve the problem right right they tend to be thinking about other things versus truly listening to the person that uh, in front of them and sometimes it's as obvious you know they're checking their their uh, their cell phones or they're you know looking into their laptops or you know mm -hmm. they're looking at something else and you can tell that whatever you're talking about is not really being listened to. Even worse yet is when they get the glazed over look in their eyes. Right. right. It's, like, it's like, do you not care about what I'm talking about? And ultimately, the effect of that is, do you not care about me? And it can right. be a big hindrance to the evolution of trust between leaders and, and companies and the people that come in and make the proposals or, you know, right. you know, come, come with a report or something like that. Right. So, um, another thing that seems to be common is that, you know, they have so much experience that they don't feel like there's going to be any value in what other people might think or other people's opinion. Right. So they've already heard it before. Quote. That's right. And I've, I've been there, I've done that before. And so they feel like you're wasting their time, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's not enough time to do that is a comment that I hear a lot from them. So both of these you know, examples can create the perception that you don't care and ultimately can affect really the trust that other people have there. I mean, I, I can think of a positive one though when I, you know, one of the things that Mike did as the CEO, which was kind of interesting is 
um, every employee in the company who had an increment of five anniversary with the company, yes. he wrote them a personal note thanking them for everything that they did, did thus far in their career. And how many employees were well, there right, when you left? Like right around 8,000 people. So can you wow. imagine that, right? Right, and, and a personal note. A little personal note, right? So we certainly worked with his executive assistant to organize the whole thing, but it was a handwritten note. Mm. Did you, you keep any of did. your notes? I did. As yeah, a matter of fact. those I mean, are I powerful. Employees really thought a lot about that. I, I can't believe the CEO is sending me this note, right? Right. And in fact, I do have a few of my notes yet right. at home now that I right. have. Right. So pretty cool. Um, let me see now. So now we're so we did the first two pieces of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to do the third. Right. Level, right. And the third mm-hmm. level um, is: Do you follow through on your commitments? Right. Um, I think um, I think the more that people say do what they say they're going to do, the more out that you are going to trust them with more responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's definitely um, affects people's careers. Their, their careers tend to take off more. Mm-hmm. They really do what they say they're going to do. Why is mm-hmm. that? Because you know leaders. Leaders trust that they can do more, so they give them mm-hmm. more responsibilities, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a natural thing that happens as time goes on because they trust that they can get it done. Mm-hmm. So, on the other hand, it's difficult to trust people with more responsibility, right, if they haven't been following through on their commitment to prior uh, responsibilities that you sent their way. So, this one, is, this one can get kind of interesting. I remember a, a sales leader one time, he... Um, um, he, he lost the trust um, in the organization from his team um, because he didn't follow through on a commitment, and that commitment was, um, "Do you have our back?" Mm. Right? So and that was. I think, I think it's a natural thing, right? That people expect that their leader has their back. Absolutely, it's a big deal with trust, right? Actually, right. And so um, he. Um, he seemed to be the type that whenever the sales were going to be short for the quarter, and we're in a meeting trying to figure out how we're going to um, overcome the gap that was created in his area of the organization, he always would go to blame. Mm. And you know, it was always one of his direct reports' responsibility for why there was that shortfall in sales. Mm. And word ultimately got out. You can say, well, it shouldn't have, but it did. And, and, and this team um, started to lose trust in him as their leader because every time sales were short, it was always about one of them versus, you know, versus him um, doing anything to include himself in that situation. So how did he get feedback about that and so, could he, yeah. did he change? Interesting you asked that because... I always thought as from the HR leader perspective, I could have went and given them the feedback because I heard about it, but I like to have people's supervisors directly give people feedback, right? right? Versus uh-huh. always the HR person having to right. be the one that gives feedback. So I talked with his boss about it and encouraged him to give the feedback and, and encouraged him to give it to him in a direct way. Mm-hmm. Not only tell him about the behaviors that he's exhibiting in the meeting when sales were short, but also the effect that that mm-hmm. has on other people, mm-hmm. right? and in this case, his team, and that they've lost are losing trust in him. Mm-hmm. So after he got that behavior, he took it to heart because this is not the kind of guy that, although he always wanted to look good to the boss, that's why he was doing this, right? Yes. He wasn't the kind of person that had ill intent mm-hmm. in terms of this behavior uh, causing his, his team to not trust him. 
Mm -hmm. So he took it to heart. He changed his behavior. When sales ever did go short after that, he talked, he used words like we, you know, well, this is what we're doing. This is what we did, right? Mm -hmm. Versus pointing a finger at someone. Bob just right. didn't deliver this much. Right, that's right, right. So so he, he included himself in, in, in the situation. And, and, and over time, his team started to hear about this, right? And, and, and it took some time, but trust did come back, right? Sometimes people say, well, can trust ever come back? Yes, it can. But you have to change behavior and you have to do it time and time again and not slip back or reverse back into prior behaviors. Mm -hmm. so, so that's that one. Um, um, the last one is openly sharing information. So now we're at the Very, bottom of the mm -hmm. funnel, right? Mm -hmm. And this is an interesting one because when, you're, when you ask mo most leaders, you know, are you truthful? And they say, well, of course I tell the truth. But, but, you know, do they always openly share information? You know, are they transparent about information? And I, I would say that that's not the case all the time. And so some leaders feel like they can't share information um, with their direct reports because they, you know, I don't know, want to use the information for power because they know that their direct reports don't have access to this information. So I'll just keep it to myself. I know that sounds kind of, why would someone do that? But people do that. Right, they, they, um, and then, um, you know, they, they ultimately can lose trust as a result of that, right? Mm -hmm. They, um, um, or at least it'll erode, you know, even if there's no ill, in, Ill intent on that, right? Um, um, you know, it can hurt trust. Other leaders don't share it because they don't know how others in the organizations might react to it. Like, oh, you know, talked with many leaders with others. Well, I don't want to share that because I don't know how they're going to react to it. And my feeling on that is that, you know, in most organizations, you have adults working with you, right? And people are adults and people can handle it, right? To, to not share information because you wonder how people are going to handle it. I think that's more about the deliverer of the message versus, you know, deciding even before you deliver it that you're not going to do it because they, you don't know how they're going to take it. So um, um, I, I can recall a leader one time losing a little bit of trust because this happens a lot right leaders meet in a meeting and they and some some leaders go out and they'll share the information from that meeting with other members in their organization right and then but some of them won't but where it gets out on the street they're wow i saw that you know sue goes out and communicates to her organization everything that you know most things that happen in the meeting within the confidentiality uh limits how come joe doesn't do it Right? What is that? You know, why, why isn't Joe doing it? And again, absent information, people start to make up stories again. And there you go. Right. People wonder, well, why is he, why is Joe not sharing that information with us? And right. why is Joe falling behind in terms right. of people following him? Right, right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so um, though that's pretty much it, really. I mean, I think that, um, um, you know, just to summarize the four habits, again, you got the knowledge of one another, so it's important to, Show interest in getting to know people and allow people to get to know you. Make yourself known. Right. Second one is demonstrate behaviors that say that you care. Mm -hmm. so put deposits in people's emotional bank accounts. Third one is follow through on your commitments. And then do your best to openly share information and be transparent about information mm -hmm. versus hiding it. Uh, so you're saying... not telling the whole story. If you do those four things, 
That's the foundation for leadership. It's the foundation for trust building. It's the foundation yeah. for people following you. And the definition of a leader is yeah. someone people follow. I encourage our listeners to think through all the times they've heard someone say, I don't trust that person. And usually the answer was, I don't trust them because we'll fall into one of these four buckets. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me, what were the benefits of cultivating this at Edwards Life Sciences. What happened? Yeah, I think I think I think it has to start here, right? You have to create this foundation in the organization. But one of the things that came out of this was we were more apt to be able to challenge one another without taking it personal. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I think that's essential to successful organizations for people to be able to challenge each other's thinking without um, taking it personally. Especially right. up and down the chain of command. Right, right. Otherwise, you know, if you don't have that, you have this kind of yes sir organization and, and people do exactly what they're told to do versus, you know, challenge and think about doing things differently or, you know, different ideas coming, you know, up to uh, management or more the, the senior leaders. So, I mean, one of the things that happened at Edwards on this one was so we had this trust building, you know, over time and all of a sudden, um, um, we decided to um, um, uh, have a, a competency called creative debate. Right? And so let me tell you about how this kind of came, came along. We, um, the CEO and I were going over our employee satisfaction uh, survey results. So that was before we called it employee engagement. Um, we, so we had our about 50 people, about the top 50 people in the organization. We called it our senior leadership team together. And, and we were up there on stage presenting these results, and we had good results. We were always 80% plus on engagement. So we had a very, very engaged organization um, based on the data that we were looking at. But as we were presenting this time, a more maverick person in the audience raised his hand, and he said, Mike and Rob, this is all really good information, but the elephant in the room is that it's really, really hard to raise the tough issues with top management. Right, kaboom. There you go, right? <laughs> right there, you know, in front of the top 50 leaders with the CEO and the head of HR up on stage, right? And so, you know, difficult to solve that with 50 people in a room, but of course we were inquisitive and we're asking questions about it to try to learn more about it, right? But the next week I'm on a plane with the CEO and he said, Rob, what was that, what was that all about? And I said, I, I don't know, Mike, but we really have to get after that because if in fact that's true, that we have this fear of you know, challenging uh, management, top management in our organization, that will cripple our company. It, it seriously will, right? So um, I told him that I was gonna take it on and that I'd keep him updated on how things were going. So I retained a consultant um, her name was see, Kathleen Ryan from up in the state of Washington, Seattle area. She wrote a book called Driving Fear Out of the Workplace. So that's why I decided I liked her book. Um, I asked her to uh, work on developing a survey that I could use right, mm-hmm. to survey the entire 50 people that were in the room. So we worked through that. She did a great job of it. And I interviewed this maverick. And then I asked the maverick, who would be the other five or six people that you would consider more maverick-like that are in that group. And he gave me the names. He said, okay, I'm going to interview those people too. So now I've interviewed six or seven people. And then I asked them to interview the rest of the people. So not only was I interviewing them to get data, but I was also, you know, role modeling how to do it. And Mm -hmm. and so 
So all data came from Mavericks or, you know, from other people via Mavericks back to me. And we took that data and we did a, a force field analysis on the results, right? What are all the things that are in our culture that might encourage people to raise the tough issues um, and challenge? And what are the things in our organization that are getting in the way of that? But then, you know, as you do these force field analysis, you say, well, what's the, what's the vision for the center? What's your overall goal here based on all that data? And we came up with the term creative debate. And what we meant, to this day, I don't know how we did this, but what we meant by that was whenever two or more people get together to solve a problem or make a decision, debate would be encouraged, no matter the level, no matter the years of experience, have debate. And out of debate comes more creative ideas than two or more people came into the room with because you tend to build on each other's ideas. Mm -hmm. And out of creative ideas comes innovative solutions. And innovation was the cornerstone, really, of the Edwards mission, and that was create innovative technologies to solve unmet clinical needs. So there's a business case for us to go forward with this uh, creative debate. So today, uh, Creative Debate's a competency at, Ed at Edwards that everyone evaluates himself on. They get evaluated by their manager on it. And no doubt without the foundation of trust, creating a culture that encouraged creative debate would have been very, very difficult. Yes, sure. yes, absolutely. And developing that culture, especially with a senior manager, it's one thing to say it's easy to do creative debate when I have an idea that I'm not so certain about. When, but when I have an idea I'm really certain about and then I want to take the time to do creative debate or I really want to go that direction. Right. Now that's a lot harder. Right. Right. That takes discipline right. Right. and that takes living out those four habits you right. just talked about. Exactly. I got to care about your ideas. I got to listen. I got to right. be transparent myself. Right. That, that's excellent. Right. So, Rob, when kind of looking at this then in summary on these four habits and, and how this became the foundation for a key part of your culture, which is creative debate. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what are, what are some of the returns on investment of creating a culture yeah. of trust and, and debate like that's a, this? That's a great question, Doug, because, you know, um, I, I really can't say that what I'm about to talk about was solely related to the trust culture that we built and creative debate, but I believe in the bottom of my heart that they had a big impact on it. I mentioned earlier that um, sales at the beginning uh, at SPIN were $800 million, and today it's almost $3 billion. There had to be some trust involved here in order to do that. There had to be a lot of creative debate that happened as a result of that. Here's some other numbers, though, too. You know, when we spun, we were spending about 4 to 5% of revenue on R&D. So again, $800 million, 4 to 5% of $800 million. Today, they're like 14 to 15% of revenue on R&D off of a lot bigger base that's close to $3 billion, right? So that's a lot of money going at R&D. So you can right. imagine um, how cool that is in terms of the company's future, right? Because right. it's all about investing in R&D and the future technologies, right? You know, at SPIN, our market cap was $850 million. And today, they are over $16 billion dollars in market cap. That's the number that just 
freaks me out. Our margins were around four or five percent. Today, the margins are right around uh, 14, 15 percent. Right? Wow. So that's crazy too, right? And then lastly, our stock price was 13 at spin. That was in April of 2000. And it went up to 100. It split two for one down to 50. And today, I think it's trading right around $154. That's crazy. Hmm. In a time when the market wasn't really that great, right? Mm -hmm. You look back, you know, a decade and a half, it wasn't all that great, right? So I would say all of those things happened. That was a return on investment uh, out of people trusting one another and out of people, people challenging one another. Rob, those are fantastic ideas. So now I'm going to turn this back to you as the listener. You've been on the ship now. You just had a cup of coffee with somebody and you're reflecting in your own life. How do I do in taking an inventory of making myself known, demonstrating I care for others, finishing what I start, doing what I say, and then making information transparent to everyone and really taking the time to explain what we're doing and making that transparent to the people that report to you and others in the organization. Do you take the time to do that? And then finally, how does that lead to the idea of creative debate in your own organization? How good are you at that? What do you want to do differently? How could you build that in your own organization and do that force field analysis? Rob, these are some exciting ideas. They're simple. They're easy to apply, which I love. But they also can take an organization a long ways just by applying this. It mm-hmm. gets the wind at your back Absolutely. rather than in your face, if you will. Absolutely. You know. So I want to thank you very much for this time. And thank you for your contribution. Thanks for having me, Doug. And if you liked what you heard today, I'd encourage you to uh, log on to this podcast at iTunes. You can download it there under Lessons Learned, Douglas A. Wilson, or you can visit my website at douglasawilson.com, and you can download this podcast and future podcasts as they come out, which we'll probably be doing about twice a month, and they'll be on the Center for Higher Ambition leadership site, which is higherambition.org. You can visit that as well. So thank you, listeners, for your time. I hope you have a wonderful day out there and that you too will continue to pursue your higher ambition in making a difference not only in your family, not only in your company, but making a difference in this world one touch point at a time. Thank you.